0: Thanks for joining our podcast today. The Results Matter Business Podcast by RCI. When results matter, think RCI. RCI is a business consulting group based out of Tennessee. Our services include digital transformation, cultural transformation, operational excellence, IT, and fractional leadership. We offer strengths in healthcare and manufacturing. We hope you can gain something from our podcast, which helps you move the needle. If we can ever be of assistance, please reach out through our website at www.thinkrci.com or on social media at Think RCI. Now let's get to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This is Anthony Smith. I'm your host for the Results Matter Business Podcast by RCI. Today, we're recording our third podcast session. I have on with me Tom Wilkerson, Joe Noble, and Andrew Van Bruegel. And today, we're going to be talking about training and how results matter when we incorporate our training catalog uh, with what you might need in the field. All right, guys, thanks for joining today.
1: Thanks for having us, Anthony. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Anthony. Hey, Andrew,
0: I want to start off with you. And if you could just kind of define real quickly the actual training that we offer, maybe separate it into our buckets, and talk to us about what RCI does with our training catalog.
1: Thanks, Anthony. So the training we have is really aligned to the uh, the main uh, parts of the business that we uh, that we offer, the services that we offer. So around operational excellence, some of the training, traditional uh, lean training and Six Sigma training, uh, belt training, as well as smaller uh, trainings around, let's say if a client just wants to do 5S training or some particular aspect of of operational uh, training, such as statistical training, process control, quality training. We also do training around the IT space, particularly uh, aligned to our business intelligence offering. So where, where clients are looking to use software that would help them to uh, analyse their business, uh, taking data from uh, different parts of their business, uh, and then want training on how to do that and how to use the software. We have training around the cultural side of a business, so looking particularly at change management uh, and culture management and leadership training. So these are the main areas, Anthony, uh, of training that we offer uh, from RCI.
0: So- with all that training being said, what are some of the qualities that you will find in RCI as far as our training that we offer, Joe? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you real quick because you're the master black belt in the room. Talk to us about the quality of training at RCI.
2: So, um, as far as the quality goes, I think there's a couple different things that separate us from some of the other folks. The material obviously we have and have gathered over the years, but uh, with that, you get the experience of not only the trainers, but also uh, some of the coaches and mentoring. And that's one thing that separates us is that after you go through some of the training, whether it be Black Belt or strategy training or leadership training, we have a network that are very well versed in coaching. Uh, the the students in the training and then mentoring them, especially in like uh, some of the belt training, mentoring them in their projects and how to apply some of the tools that are taught uh, through their projects to drive results.
0: I like how you said that. So, with Guy DeLoach not being here, I'm going to kind of step in and talk to talk for him a second. Uh, he's a professor over at the School of Business at Lee University, and you know methodology to our training is a big piece of that our educators that we have inside uh consist of two uh or professors uh and uh there is a definite methodology to education and they've been doing it for over 20 years andrew um can you take a minute to speak about practicing or practitioners
1: yes anthony uh so it- Training is really about uh, transferring knowledge from somebody who has that knowledge to somebody who doesn't have it. But it doesn't really have much of a a component of practicing necessarily. Uh, Most training or a lot of training is done in a classroom setting, and you can't really practice what it is you've been taught. So at RCI, we encourage very strongly um, the first of all, our trainers are practitioners, which means that they have been using the techniques and tools that they're teaching uh, routinely during their careers. So if you're teaching somebody how to do, uh, let's say, or you're teaching a green belt or a yellow belt training, um, there are many teachers of those subjects, but have they been working in the field for 10 or 15 or 20 years? Have they been practising? Have they got the full experience of utilising the Uh, techniques that they're teaching. So at RCI, in order to uh, make the training effective, we believe that the trainers have to be practitioners and the training itself should be as practical as possible. So We're not a fan of classroom training, although of course we have to do that uh, uh, to some extent in each training event, but we really want to do as much training through doing as is possible.
2: And let me expand on that just a little bit, Andrew, if you don't mind. Uh, You know, just in my experience, like for 5S training, right, it's good to sit in a classroom and understand what each of the 5Ss stand for and what you're supposed to do for each of those uh, segments of it. But to get the folks out on the shop floor or the office area and walk them through and show them, hey, here's opportunities, here's some things you need to, uh, standardize, Here's some ways to sustain it, and some of the pitfalls you run into in implementation of a 5S program, uh, that's something that we can really help with since we all have been uh, uh, practitioners, like you said.
1: Yeah, and leaning, uh, leaning on there with Joe, so if you take something even sizable like value stream mapping, um, the technique we prefer is, you know, we may do literally an hour or two of actual classroom training, and that can often be done remotely. Um, and then we want to get people actually doing the work in the value stream that they're looking to map. Now, typically, value stream mapping training can be two or three days in the classroom, and sometimes there's no practical element to it at all. Um, our approach is really quite different.
0: So with that said, uh, is our training customizable? Is is it in person? Is it virtual? Can you you define how we normally do training and and maybe some of the parameters to that? Um, Joe, uh, can you kind of talk on this?
2: Yeah, so really, it's really understanding the customer's wants and what their business needs are and adapting the training to meet those goals of the customer. And so in our, uh, our toolbox, we have a number of different ways that we can deliver training from simulations, which is a big part of most of the training we do. Uh, gamification is another thing. I mean, if we can get people involved playing games uh, and learning while they're playing those games, Uh, that's, that's a a second way that we can differentiate ourselves. Like Andrew said, the practitioner part and getting people out onto the floor, uh, to where all the work happens. And then, um, another way that we could do it, we can do any of this virtually. We prefer to do it in person, but, um, one technique that has been very successful, uh, in understanding and making sure the people that are. Uh, receiving the training, get it, is the see, do, teach method. And that's we show them how to do it. Uh, they go do it. And then they teach back either to the instructor or some other practitioner uh, what they've learned so that you get engaged to actually what has been uh, absorbed by the student.
0: That sounds good. Are there any other techniques that we might use? Um, I, I know traditionally when you think about training, you think about PowerPoint, you think about all of those screens you have to look at. Uh, what makes our training different than those? Is there anything that we can add to that?
2: So I think part of the, the thing that we found most successful is you do training in the classroom, you limit that as best you can, and then you go out to where the work happens and apply it out in, in, in the environment that's uh, part of that business. So, you know, you're just not 100 percent in the classroom. That's why we really prefer to be either on site or in person as opposed to online.
0: OK, do we only work with manufacturers or, or are there other options
2: that we do training with also? I oh, don't know. I mean, it, it, some of this and most all of this can be applied to any uh, any business function at all, from uh, support folks to order takers, customer service, the leadership team, you name it. I mean, a lot of this is very much applicable to any process that uh, can be a, that produces
0: an output. Andrew, I heard you kind of speak in there. Do you want to you want to say anything on that real quick?
1: Oh, I was really going to say what Joe said. So, you know, uh, the techniques of uh, operational excellence or business excellence are very, very mobile across businesses um, because at the end of the day, everybody is doing something to create value for a customer. So the question is, how am I creating that value and what waste is involved in creating that value? Now, it's easy to see in a manufacturing environment uh, where there's waste because you can see inventory and you can see people maybe not doing something productive. Uh, it's harder to see in a non-manufacturing but sector, but the 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 um, the principles are completely uh, transportable to any business.
0: And with that said, you're you're seeing that the training is customizable also based on the company, correct?
1: Yes, so if we go into a service sector business, uh, we wouldn't do simulations and training using examples for manufacturing, for example. So with, uh, let's say, our lean training, uh, our simulation for uh, manufacturing uh, organisations involves uh, putting together a a, a car or sometimes we use aeroplanes or whatever, so they actually manufacture something, uh, you know, like a toy uh, and, we, and we take all the measurements around that now we wouldn't do that simulation in uh, a service sector environment instead the simulation is a logistics one where they're moving uh, parcels which are represented by cards around the various processes uh, and then they, they take measurements of that so yes it's customizable not only in terms of what we do but also the content uh to suit the the client's needs
0: okay with that i'm gonna really go over to our uh, supporting quotes i guess you could say and and Guy had mentioned the majority of other organizations go with a canned solution uh square peg round a hole can, can any of y'all speak on that and how we are different um when it comes to aligning what we can do with those businesses that need training
1: yeah so um Usually when you go for a particular trainer or training organisation, they're going to have a number of modules to pick from um, and you'll pick the module they want and they'll arrive to do the training. And you won't really know what it is they're going to train. You know the subject, of course. Our approach is uh, quite different. We, we, We basically never do that. So we would go and talk to the client face to face, trying to understand what it is they're wanting to achieve with the training. So a lot of people say, "Well, I need to do belt training," uh, not really knowing what it is and not really understanding what it, uh, what the what, what what the implications of doing it are, and the support that's needed around that. So sometimes uh, after we talk to a client, you know, we 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 can help them understand that uh, the training they need is is perhaps quite different to what they were thinking, and then we would organise our training material around those needs specifically. Um, So, for example, some clients want to do, uh, let's say, green belt training, but really uh, it's not the Six Sigma part that they're looking for. They they may not have um, a need or a desire for that. It may really be waste that's more tailored around the lean um, or maybe problem solving. Sometimes we we can go from doing yellow belt or green belt training just to doing a few days of problem-solving training or matching exactly what the client is truly looking for. So understanding what the client wants to achieve is very important to us and then tailoring the training around that.
0: On one of our calls, uh, one of you guys had said that that we're not a training organization. Uh, RCI is not a training organization. Uh, We are a support organization. Can can one of you talk about that right there being a support organization? I know Joe hit on it earlier with the mentoring and the coaching, but why do we consider ourselves a
2: support organization? To be, I think you know. Uh, I think Andrew said it. You know, you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. If your client comes to you and says, "Hey, we want to do belt training," and Um, When you start digging a little bit deeper and start asking questions, uh, you realize that that organization hasn't they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the backbone that's required to have successful belts. And so from a support perspective, we will take a step back. And before we do the belt training, actually get with uh, the leadership team so they understand what their commitments are for for some of the belts that are going to be produced. And um, that's really the support function, right? To support the trainees, you know, after we go away and make sure that they have the right infrastructure in place in order to support them and grow the business. So would you say it's really
0: a, a conversation or an ongoing conversation?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, 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 know, you just can't go into a place and start doing green belt and black belt training without that support mechanism in place. OK, great.
0: So I want to take a second and really just kind of transfer this in a different type of training talk. And um, that is the subject of micro-credentialing. Can I get one of you guys to define for me what micro-credentialing is and why that is important?
1: Yeah, so... Uh... Organisations traditionally have uh, decided that, uh, you know, what is the the graduate that I need in order to fill this role? Um, Maybe let's say it's an accountant. And so they'll recruit for an accountant maybe with a year or two experience. What we're seeing now, though, is there are micro-credentials. They're typically offered still by universities and other tertiary education institutes. And what this is, is a very small, I want to say small, it might be half a year or even less. It can be done over a couple of weeks, depending on how intense it is. Uh, area of study um, that allows you to get a proper credential from that institution. Um, it carries weight with it because you've been taught through uh, a reputable and uh, assessed institution, so an institution that um, is carrying credentials itself, rather than, let's say, an online um, or sort of, let's call it, hole-in-the-wall type organisation that you really don't know the background of. So uh, I can do perhaps a number of these micro-credentials. Let's say belt training is a good one. So I can have a proper uh, certification from an organisation that allows me to uh, to you know, add that to my resume. Um, and uh, And that's how I build up my... My academic qualifications without necessarily uh, getting a degree or a graduate diploma or something else from the university.
0: Thanks for answering that, Andrew. We're going to segue into our second topic. And let's talk real quick, Joe, uh, about a uh, maybe a testimony or engagement uh, with a customer you had last year. Uh, where you went in and did some uh, training with their HR staff. Do you do you want to talk about that real quick?
2: Sure. The um, We were given an opportunity to work with a local company that uh, uh, the HR manager is local, and the HR manager has seven or eight sites reporting into them. And um, they wanted to get their HR staff together from all seven of those sites and have a workshop as part of a a retreat that they were having. And the nice thing about this is we met with the HR uh, director or manager uh, and had a pretty good brainstorming session about, number one, what were the goals that they were trying to achieve? And number two, what were some of the training that we could give them to help achieve those goals? Um, I know that they had issues with engagement of certain individuals in the HR uh, staff. They had a uh, a couple of instances where there wasn't really a, the, a team atmosphere between the, the seven site HR managers. And so the training that we did based off of some brainstorming was totally uh, geared towards engaging the folks that were going to be there Uh, and then helping them to do some team building so that they felt more comfortable once they got out of the training uh, being part of this HR team for the company.
0: Let's talk a little bit more. uh, Maybe, Andrew, talk about some of the training we've done uh, out of state from where we are, um, maybe the needs and assessments of those trainings. Uh, Do you have anything to talk on about that?
1: Yep. So. Usually a client will contact us, whether within state or out of state, uh, with some kind of a problem that they're having or a desire to upskill a group of their staff. And they nearly always have in mind what sort of training they want to do. Um, uh, So they'll ask us whether we do that training. As I mentioned earlier, we would spend some time with our client first, just trying to dig a little bit deeper and understand, so what is the problem you're trying to solve? Um, so that we can put together the right training for them. Um, I would say maybe half the time uh, it ends up being that the training we agree together that they need is different from what they originally thought that they needed. Um, Or we can add on to their training that they thought they needed with something more particular about the problem that they want to solve. So uh, that's how we work, Anthony. Um, And with out-of-state and in-state, it's really the same process. Uh, Only difference is, of course, uh, we're not usually talking face-to-face at this early stage with the potential client if they're from out-of-state.
0: So one of the things we've not talked about that I'm going to hit on is called fractional leadership. And that's one way of providing training to facilities that um, may need to kind of fill the gap. Uh, They may need someone with more experience. They may need someone who has been there and done that. And I want to talk to Tom real quick and and just ask him to give us an example of a fractional leader and how a fractional leader does training inside of a facility, whether it's manufacturing or, or in different places. We have personnel that can Really, help and assist with training on a different level than what you might think in the classroom. Tom, can you talk about that?
3: Sure, Anthony, thanks for having me. Yes, I'd like to give you an example of uh, when I went into a manufacturing uh, company, and what they were looking for, they were looking for leadership training for first line supervisors. They had first line supervisors. This was a twenty four hour seven-day-a-week operation, and most of those supervisors had very little experience and, and really had not given, had been given any training. The, the way it was organized and uh, the timetable of uh, needing to get this training done, we really didn't have an opportunity to go into the classroom just because they, they needed to be on the floor. Uh, with the, uh, at the factory. So what I spent several months doing was spending time with these supervisors on the floor, coaching them, uh, mentoring them, following up with them, maybe in the office uh, with one-on-one or one-on-two meetings. And this went on for about five months. I spent three days a week, eight hours a day, and one one thing I always like to start with with safety. They really didn't understand how to approach their operators and and, and the maintenance uh, technicians in, in the factory with you know coaching them in and, and and making sure you know they followed uh, the safety guidelines. They needed help with that. They needed help with. Follow up on ins- daily instructions, making sure that you know the instructions that were given were being carried out as they were supposed to be, and this just daily communication. Uh, and it was a great experience for me. Uh, spent you know it was a lot of one on one as they rotated through the shifts. I was able to spend one on one time with with these uh, with these supervisors and. It was a great experience. No classroom training, all coaching on the floor. And, 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 it, and, it, and it absolutely made a big impact for this uh, for this company.
0: Tom, thanks for your time on that, man. Um, and that makes a great example of what a fractional leader does. Uh, if you're not familiar with fractional leadership or uh, fractional management, as it might be called, please go back and check out our podcast number two. We cover that uh, very well and also have a manufacturer who hired us and brought in a uh, actually three different fractional leaders that they needed to kind of fill that gap right there. Uh, it's a great way to get a lot of good experience uh, on, uh, on the ground, really, and be able to educate yourself more to grow your company uh, faster and better. Uh, it's just a great way, and we'd love to talk to you about that, but if you haven't heard about fractional leadership, please go back and listen to podcast number two. Now, I'm going to jump into some 40 quotes here, and then I have a few quotes from you guys, and I'm just going to kind of read those off, and I want you to explain to me what those things are and why you why you say those things, but Joe, uh, the first quote I have from you, it's kind of, kind of it's funny, I think, uh, but the higher up in the organization you get, the stupider you get. You know, that's kind of your comment to me. Explain that to me. Why would why would you say something
2: like that?
3: Well, it's
2: so it goes back to some of the belt training and how do you present to, and number one, knowing your audience that you're presenting your results to. And typically in an organization, the higher up you go, the less you care about the day to day operations because you tend to be removed from that. And uh, so numbers don't mean too much. You know, the daily outputs uh, don't mean too much. And really all you're looking for are three colors, red, yellow, and green. Everything's good. And we got some issues we got to take care of. We're red, everything's really bad and we need some uh, uh, obstacles removed in order to succeed. So uh, that's why I say that because it really does come back to, you know, the higher up you go, all you care about is those three colors.
0: Andrew, do you have something to, to kind of talk against that a little bit? Um... Uh, Is there another approach to that, maybe?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, uh, it's not that they're stupid. Uh, That's uh, that's obviously uh, not not what we're trying to say. They become somewhat disconnected from people who are working lower in the organisation. So they become preoccupied with things, obviously, at their level, but still try to manage processes that are happening on the shop floor, and they're losing – connection with the shop floor and they're not understanding uh, really the true needs of the people and the process on the shop floor and so they make decisions that are sometimes uh, you know uh, short of logic um, and not properly not properly grounded in the needs of what the process requires and what the people on the shop floor need uh, this makes them appear sometimes a little naive um it's not nothing to do with stupidity it has to do with hey look i'm making decisions on things that i don't really understand and the true leader is going to step back from that and say well hang on a second uh, let me let me get down amongst the weeds a little bit now uh, and understand all the things i need to know to make the right sort of decisions so when it comes to training for example a lot of people get sent on training which they don't find value adding Um, sometimes it's as bad as they don't even understand what on earth they're at the training for. Um, This is because with good intent, leaders have sent them on training without really understanding what their needs are.
0: We've just taken the last several minutes talking about training, and and I'm fixing to give a quote to you guys. Um, You know, training is such a waste of money. Um, Why would that be said, or why would someone say that?
2: I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So I've heard that a number of times for some of the green belt, yellow belt, black belt training, because in the end, people sign up for that just to build that and put that on their resume. Right. They say, hey, I'm I'm a green belt, so I know all this stuff. And really, um, it, that's really a waste of money for the company because they don't end up utilizing that stuff to make improvements uh, and to get better results in the business. And I think that's the disconnect is that the purpose of the training is to establish and get business results. And if that's not pushed by uh, management to get that, or you don't have the infrastructure in place to achieve that and make the the belt candidate successful, then it is a waste of money. But uh, I think that's where we can come in from the coaching and mentoring standpoint to help uh, get results at a company. Based off the training
0: that we're given. All right, and I'm going to jump over to you, Tom. Butts in chairs in a conference room can only absorb so much information. Why would someone say that?
3: Well, well, Anthony, you you know you've been you've been sitting in the conference room, and I've I've been there either uh, leading a meeting or maybe participating in a meeting. And you look over, and out of the 12 people in the room, three of them are on their phone and, and the other two, two of them may be nodding off. It's it's very hard to keep folks' attention in the conference room. It has to be interesting. They have to see that they're gonna gain something from that, something they can use. And 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 it's it's you know, doing that in a conference room. It's it's just very difficult, whereas if you're on the floor, you're more one-on-two or one-on-three, you know, in the field, on the factory floor, you you can really get a lot more done because you've got their full attention. And you know you can keep their attention versus trying to keep the attention of a group of people. That's why I say that.
0: All right. Thanks, man. That's important information. Joe? Let's talk about coaching and mentoring and, and why
2: we coach and mentor. Well, I think some of the good things about coaching and mentoring, right? So uh, as far
3: as coaching goes, um, there's something called unconsciously incompetent. And so what that means, that you're trying to learn a skill, number
2: one, you're you, Or you don't know whether you're good or not. And you also uh, are pretty bad at it the first time you start. And so with coaching, what that helps you do is uh, you try things along the way. right. You have somebody to look at you and what you're trying to accomplish and can point you in the right direction. Uh, A good coach will let you fail. And we all know you tend to learn more from failure than success. And so uh, that really helps the different participants learn the material is have them have small failures that can be, excuse me, that can be redone or uh, can be put back to the original state uh, and people will learn from that. The other part about coaching is you tend to challenge uh, the individual that you're coaching and to make them think outside of their comfort zone and think outside of their uh, uh, learning um, uh, area of comfort so that once they get out there, they're actually learning because they haven't done something like that before. So for me anyway, uh, that that's really one of the big things about coaching and mentoring is to you have somebody that's experienced and you can let somebody learn in the best way possible to get the results in the end.
0: All right, I want to point this at Andrew. Um, Andrew, can you give me the example of coaching, whether it be learning the piano or? Playing football or archery, can can you kind of hit on why coaching is important in all of those, and parallel that into what we do?
1: Yeah, so uh, many of us play a musical instrument or play a sport of some sort, whether we were ch- you know when we were children or even now as adults, and we've had coaches, right? Uh, and in the pro- area of professional sport, the person they call the trainer is very different to the person who is the coach. Right. So the coach is going to um, look at how you behave in practice. Right. So a a coach doesn't. It may be the same person, but when they're when they're sitting in the training room teaching you, they're a trainer, not a coach. Coach is going to look at you practice the technique that you have learned. So let's say if it's guitar that I'm learning, um, obviously I'm playing in front of that coach, and he's looking at all sorts of things that are very hard to train. to to explain what you need to do uh, to to complete the task effectively. Um, You know, uh, you can imagine trying to train somebody in a classroom how to play golf or how to play guitar. It would be almost impossible. It's not that it doesn't have some role to play, but really it's somebody experienced who's done it all before, who's learnt the pitfalls, understands how to circumvent and accelerate your understanding of how to do the task, looking at you doing it and then showing you perhaps uh, ways to do it better or point out things that you were not doing as well as you could. Uh, So the coach is a practitioner who is looking at your technique uh, with the assumption that some basic level of knowledge transfer has already taken place.
0: So I'm just going to put it to you this way. Uh, if I'm gonna become good at something, I'm I'm not gonna be trained, right? I'm gonna be coached. Is that, is that what I get? Is that what I'm getting from you guys?
1: Yeah, you're 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 going to be you're going to have to be coached to be good at something. Uh, it doesn't mean there's no training involved, but training is a process to transfer knowledge. It's not a process to practice your skills. Practicing your skills with somebody competent that is coaching. And that accelerates your effectiveness.
2: All right. Yeah, I was going to use the example of golf. All right. So if you have, uh, if you go out to the golf course by yourself for the first time, you're going to go all over the place with that ball. But if you have a coach with you, he or she could tell you along the way, "Hey, you got to move your left foot in a little bit. Uh, You got to keep your head down. Uh, Your back swing is going way too far." And so they can coach you how to get better. That's exactly right. So we're going to end this real quick, guys,
0: with the whole statement of moving the needle. If you guys could give any words of advice to any executive, any manager, any HR person, uh, anyone out there, when it comes to leadership training, when it comes to coaching and mentoring, what are some of those things uh, that you could tell people? Because results matter, and we do need to move the needle. How do we move that needle and make those results matter, Joe? What's
2: your What's your statement to all those leaders out there? Well, number one, you've got to support the the, the trainees, all right, and understand what they're being taught and what skills that you want the trainees to come away with. And so, uh, you know, many times management will just send somebody to training and then they never ask them about it again, all right? And so I think that you have to really say, hey, the reason you're going for this training is because we want to see uh, either cost reductions, uh, you know, some kind of KPI improvement, and that is the way you're going to achieve that is by practicing what you learned in training. If you just go through training, for the sake of going through training, You're you're not going to be proficient at it. You want to become proficient at what you're being trained in. And and really, you'd have to have the time and be given the time in order to accomplish that. And that's a management uh, goal. All
0: right, Tom, I'm going to segue over to you. What is that quote to move that needle for that manager or for that executive out there? Can you give us what you would tell them?
3: Sure. And, and a lot of it has to do with what Joe said. and I think it's quote, measure the results. What are the results do you want to get from from the training? But what are the results do you want to get from this engineer or this operator or this person that's working for you? And then there has to be follow up from their supervisor or their leadership. And you've got to explain these, Results are going to be measured, and and decide you know what do you want to achieve and what kind of time frame do you want to achieve it in? Does is it, is it a three months, six months, one year, or is is this a long term thing that's going to be uh, measured over uh, maybe at one or two years? So, I, I guess I would say follow up by. The leadership of the company, or their, or their direct supervisor, and understanding what the results are that you, that you uh, want to achieve, and, and measurable results, absolutely measurable results.
0: Tom, I love a quote you gave me one time. I'm just going to state it real quick: what gets measured, gets managed. And I love how you say that. And, and that's one of the things I think we need to hit on here is. All of this leadership training we're talking about, all of this executive training we're talking about, it does need to be measured and it does need to be managed also. But there needs to be, like Joe said, a KPI result to it. Uh, Andrew, you're the last guy in line. I'm going to ask you, what is that advice that you would give that leadership person?
1: So moving the needle means that we need to be working on whatever's important. So uh, and therefore, by definition, not working so much on things that aren't important and in particular things that need to be done now. So there's the proper rationalisation of what we need to be working on that's going to make a difference to the business. So we need to make sure we're doing that. And then to do it properly, we need a certain skills, very targeted skills around that that area what what it is we need to do Uh, and once again we don't need to be teaching things that people aren't going to be using in those critical areas uh, right now because uh, that's not going to move the needle at least not now so you know working on the right things uh, making sure we're working on the right things which are those things that are of course most important to the customer ultimately which could be external or internal and then making sure we're doing those things right uh, and teaching the skills that are necessary to do those things right uh, without any unnecessary waste.
0: Thank you, Guys, uh, we've kind of reached the end of our segue here. I want to just step back, say thank you to each one of you. As you can see, RCI offers quite a range of skill sets when it comes to training. If you have a problem, if you need training in some way, please reach out. Uh, a word of advice if you want to just take a tip from us here. Also, you can reach out to local colleges and places that do provide facilitated training and see if there are grant monies for your company. See if there are ways to help your company grow. Uh, But also, we are here to assist you, and normally we are plugged in with those organizations that can provide that assistance, whether it be micro-credentialing, whether it be uh, some type of uh, belt training that you do need. Uh, Guys, thanks for joining in today, and we hope to see you on the next podcast. Be blessed. You've just listened to the Results Matter Business Podcast by RCI. When results matter, think RCI. Check us out at www.thinkrci.com.